Hello and welcome to episode 5 of To The Studio. Our guest today is Alexandra Davenport. Signaling back to her history in dance, Davenport's practice uses performance, writing, moving image and the photographic as strategies to explore the choreography of image making. Her recent shows have included the Vogue Ukraine Art Issue Exhibition at Set Gallery in the Ukraine, Circuit Training, Exercises in Self-Doubt, which was a live video documentation on display at Aesthetica Art Prize Exhibition in York Art Gallery in the UK, and the Folium Forum Group Show at Art Lacuna London. I had the pleasure of catching up with Alex in her studio in Brixton, and we cover a lot of ground from her history in dance to getting inspiration from CCTV footage to her double life as a DJ. So thanks for tuning in, and this is our chat. Hello, Alex. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me over and giving me your Saturday morning. You're welcome. <laughs> it's really kind Still of you. Still both a bit of sleep, but it's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> How have you been? Good. Yeah. Tired. Busy, but good. Um, yeah. How about yourself? Yeah, I've been good. Busy, tired. Yeah. Equally. Yeah. <laughs> But this this is this is waking me up, so that that's good. Got coffee, we're gonna chat. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. How's your week been? What have you been up to this week? This week, um, so I've just started a like a part time 0.5 post at Bournemouth, um, lecturing on the photography course. So I started that in September. I've been mm. visiting lecturing there for a year, but mm. now I've got a permanent position, which is great. Um, so I started that. So I've been busy with that. Um, Working with third year students, so getting them ready for their final year and exhibition and mm. making new projects, which is exciting. <laughs> In at the deep end. Um, at the same time, I'm still working my other job. Um, so I've been doing that as well. Where's, where's the other job? Uh, I work for a post-production company, mm -hmm. manage the studio. So we do retouching for photographs and moving image. Um, I manage schedules and... There's a small studio on site, so I manage that and yeah. deal with. So yeah, just lots of organising. Yeah, you got a lot. Of, yeah, <laughs> lots on your plate. Um, but yeah, so hopefully it will. It will. I'm going to be focusing on the teaching primarily from the next like yeah. month or so. So hopefully it will calm down then. Mm. So unfortunately, I haven't had as much time to be here in yeah. the studio as I would have liked. But mm. yeah, it's been good. How how have you found? Yeah, how how do you find teaching? Um. Yeah, I, I love teaching. Uh, I think I always always knew it was something I wanted to yeah. do. Um, I used to be a dancer and I used to teach dancing when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that. I found it really rewarding. Um, just the collaboration aspect of it for me. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, the big reason for me doing a master's was so I could kind of go on to teaching in higher education, mm -hmm. hopefully go on to a PhD, things like that. So... Mm. Um, yeah, I really enjoy it. And Bournemouth is an amazing course. There's some like really great students mm. on it. Um, we were chatting just before we started recording, but whenever I go into the sessions, I, I always find it really like I'm learning as well. You yeah, know, it's nourishing yeah. and yeah. Um, yeah, and some of the projects are really exciting. So I feel like I'm part of something like yeah, really exciting. Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned there you did. Yeah, you grew up. You grew up dancing. Um, and I guess we before we start talking about like your work as a, yeah your work, um, 
everywhere that I kind of read about your work, it always it always mentions your history in dance, mm-hmm. um, but it never really expands on it at all, really, or from what I found anyway. Um, so I was wondering, yeah, to start us off, maybe, yeah, might be a, a good point to yeah, kick off from sure. if you want to talk um, about that for a bit. So yeah, I started dancing when I was like three or something. It was just a thing that I went to a couple of nights a week. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I found a passion for it. And maybe from the age of like seven or eight, the kind of classes increased and the amount I was doing increased. Um, so I was still going to school as well, but training in the evenings. Wow. Um, I did that up until the age of 18 before I went wow, to Wow, that's a lot. For a long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think back to it now and I'm like, oh yeah, I kind of forget that I did that. <laughs> that I kind of forget I've got all these skill, this, this yeah. skill. <laughs> like, what am I doing? <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, like, yeah, I love it a lot. But I got to the age of maybe like 15 or 16. Mm. And I mean, usually early, you kind of have to make a decision. Yeah. Am I going to go and be a dancer? Am I going to throw my time into this? Um, but I really enjoyed school and particularly I started finding an interest in photography. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's quite full on. I don't think I was quite ready to like, kind of like pull out of that. And yeah, I think as well, I had a lot of doubts that I wasn't good enough and yeah, there's a lot of that mm. kind of um, conversation in the dance world. I think it can be quite toxic at times, as well as being very, like, you know, mm. nourishing. Um, but yeah, I think I got to 15, 16, I kind of made a decision for myself that I would continue dancing until I went to uni. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's, I think it still really, like, yeah, informs and frames a lot of my work now. Um, I think for a long time I tried to, like, yeah, kind of push it away. Yeah, because I, I think I didn't quite understand that the thing these things could come together, kind of like an art practice and kind mm. of yeah, a dance practice, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I think now I'm thinking through um, in making work. I'm thinking through a lot of the structures of dance and the language of dance. Yeah, um, yeah, just everything about it and how it can relate to like the photographic or like kind of more expanded like art practice. Mm. Um, so yeah yeah so um, so you said you kind of stopped dancing at at 18 Um, um, did you yeah when did your kind of interests in in art kind of begin Um, I think maybe when I was around 14 15 Hmm. I I think I never did art I I mean you had to do it at school but it was like GCSEs and stuff and I never did art I was really into music and like obviously with dance so um, and then yeah, I think I got a camera. I think I got bought a camera or something, and then it's a classic thing. I started going out and like yeah, taking yeah, really yeah. shit pictures. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this is great, and I upload them to the internet. Being like, oh my god, I'm a photographer, <laughs> putting watermarks and everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> um, and then uh, yeah, and then I think it got to like A levels, and there was an option to do photog- well art and design, but photography yeah. at my school. Mm. Um, and I was like, oh, actually, like I'd really, really like to do that. So yeah, maybe like something like, yeah, thirteen, fourteen, and then yeah, went and did it. Uh, but it was so, I always t- tell the story; it's so funny. But like, <laughs> um, so sometimes in kind of like that level of education, it's very like, oh, if you haven't done art GCSE, then you can't come and do an art like A level because I got told I wasn't creative enough, <laughs> which I found like bizarre. They were like, oh, well, you haven't done like textiles, or you haven't done like 
I've, I've, I've done music. They're like, yeah, but that doesn't count. <laughs> like, you haven't done this or this or this. And so I had to submit a portfolio to like the, the headmaster and like be like, oh, I really. And it's just, I think it makes it really inaccessible for people who may be like, yeah, you know, they yeah, wonder. definitely. It's like, oh, well, you haven't like been, I don't know been like copying these famous painters oh, through GCSE for X yeah, amount of time yeah, so you yeah. can't come and do an art and design A level and I was like okay but anyway I kind of submitted the portfolio and then I got onto the call and I loved it like mm. I didn't really know anything about like I didn't really have any yeah. um, uh, not like prior knowledge much of photography or like you know mm. kind of like history of art or anything um, but they had a dark room at my school so I kind of got into that and yeah I did that for two years and then I kind of decided that I'd like to do an undergraduate in photography. Mm. Um, it kind of just went from there. Yeah. And yeah. I, I guess with um, with GCSE and kind of A-level um, education, I've we talked about this um, on, a, on another episode of the podcast, but it's such a linear way of, of kind of teaching things. Um, and it doesn't really, I don't think, prepare you for... Well, yeah, following your own practice in, in yeah. any kind of way. Um, and so, yeah, how did you, f well, yeah, I guess the transition between A-level and, and your undergraduate, how was, yeah, how, how was that? Um, that was really difficult. Mm. <laughs> um, I think, because I, I basically applied for a few universities for photography and then I got into London College Communication, which yeah. is where I um, did my undergraduate. Um, but I think going into any um, arts degree, you normally have to have a foundation. Yeah. Um, and I had applied for one of those locally as well. But I think I was just maybe just a bit stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, I want to go and do it now. And I think um, I think I'd said to myself, well, if I don't get in or they say you have to do a foundation degree, then I would have gone and done it. Yeah. Um, but because I got in without it, I was like, well, I'm just going to go. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I look back now and I'm like, well, actually that might have like prepared me a bit more for that transition mm. um i think i went from yeah i went from quite an intense like yeah kind of sixth form and then went straight into university and it was there was no time to really i think a lot of people who've done the foundation degree it's like you have a bit of time to like try things out and experiment yeah. and kind of um yeah my but my older brother he did a foundation degree and I remember like the stories of just like oh you're just going you're like painting with like potatoes yeah. and like sticks <laughs> <and stuff." laughs> um, but like it's that idea that you're just really like trying things um mm. but yeah so it was difficult and I think um yeah being like well, the youngest on the course and then also like I was quite new to like yeah I remember going to like the course and like having like the critical and historical studies and like like oh here's the history of photography and all these yeah. things it's a lot of information yeah for sure um but i feel like by maybe it took me up until the second year to really start like getting into it and i love reading yeah that was my big thing like i was really like theory and kind of um research um and so yeah it was difficult and even i think when i graduated i still like feel like i was still figuring things out and yeah. trying to find like trying to find my way with it a bit but um yeah I think looking back like you know I could have gone done the foundation but yeah. and it might have changed the course of how I but I did what I did and yeah. I think like an interesting I guess similarly to you kind of going blind from your um was it for, yeah from your GCSE to your, your A level yeah. Like, yeah going blind audio photography it's quite interesting that you kind of chose, chose to do that not again. making it easy yeah, no. <laughs> it's like no I'm gonna do this thing I'm gonna do it now I think do you know what I was just so like 
I was just so re- I felt like I was so ready. Yeah, right. For some, I think on my A level as well. Like I was so invested. There, there were maybe like fifteen people in my like in my class. Yeah. And there were a couple of us, but like who were like really really into it. I just felt like I was so like ready for like more. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I think in my head it was like, no, if I go and do a foundation, then I'm, you know, I'm maybe like pausing this. Yeah, right. Process yeah. or something. I think as well when all your friends are like going away to uni and stuff, yeah. you're like, oh, I want to. Yeah. Like, I want to part of that. Be involved <laughs> yeah. in that. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, I've no, haven't made it easy <laughs> for myself. <laughs> but you know, here we are. <laughs> um, and obviously, you didn't grow up in London, right? No, so um, in the Midlands near yeah. Wolverhampton, mm. um, place called well, in between Wolverhampton and Stafford, yeah, um, just near Birmingham for a bit more context. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I moved to London when I was eighteen. Mm. Was that for? Was that yeah? Because because you got into that was for the BA, yeah, yeah. and then I've been here ever since. <laughs> <laughs> was there any? Was it? I, I guess back then was there anything that did did you did you want to get yeah? Do you want to move out of the Midlands? Was was London a, a, like a calling for you yeah I think like where I grew up was quite a small Mm. town Um, and I think especially being interested in the arts and stuff like that there wasn't a lot there wasn't a lot going on I mean you go Mm. to bigger cities like Birmingham and there's a bit more of a scene but where I was it was kind of like I think I was just bored yeah I think people always say you know I want to get out or whatever that means but I think I was just yeah I just wanted to kind of um, be around more like-minded people I suppose Um, Mm. I think a lot of my friends like yeah, I'm still like good friends with a lot of people I went to school yeah, with, but sure. I think I just wanted to be in an environment where I was feeling a bit more like there's a community and a bit more like yeah. stimulated and um Yeah, so I was so like I was so ready to like I think London as well. I was like, Oh yeah, London, that's exciting. <laughs> that's you really cool like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think even like all yeah, all the stuff I was into and all the musicians I was listening to, you know, there's this like yeah. kind of like mystical thing about yeah, it's London. Quite you're like, Oh yeah and then mm. you get into the reality of it. <laughs> you're <Yeah. laughs> like, Oh no. Um But yeah, no, I felt like very ready for like yeah, yeah, different felicity. Yeah. Um and obviously you 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 said that you um there that you've stayed here since. Um how was yeah? How was life after your BA? And what do you what do you get up to between? Um, so yeah, it was two thousand thirteen when I finished my undergraduate, um, and I went pretty much straight into freelancing as an assi- photographer's assistant. Mm. Um, I did some other like few bits as well. I was working at Rankin for a while as an archival assistant and doing little bits of stuff. Um, applying for lots of jobs but not getting anything yeah um and this is something i did a little bit of at uni and worked mm. for a few artists and things like that um so i kind of just thought well if i'm not gonna get a job then i'm just gonna keep just keep doing uh freelance stuff mm. um and doing odd jobs as well like yeah. working at a university doing admin stuff and things like that um and then yeah i got a studio maybe was over a year when i was out of uni i got a studio my first studio in bow with mm. bow arts um and then yeah that was kind of a big that was a big change for, it was a really like it shifted a lot of things i think i came out of uni and i was like kind of set on like getting a job obviously like financially yeah. supporting myself and getting a job and i didn't make for maybe like a year because i just felt like couldn't mm. um i think that last year university is so intense and you're working towards this thing and then it's done and then you're like oh <laughs> um but yeah i think when i got back in the studio i was like okay um yeah and i shared with a painter 
and the first friend who I live with and we shared together and that was great it was just two of us um, mm. quite different practices but always have really interesting conversations yeah um yeah I think from there I started making work again started kind of putting myself out there and um yeah had a few studios after that but I think just having that space was yeah. really important and I think it was something that always felt like out of reach for me when I finished my BA because it's like an extra expense and it's like well like, can I afford it can I justify yeah. it and I kind of got to a point when I got it I was like Do you know what I don't know how I like I really needed this I needed like mm. to feel like there was I had something for me or like you know um uh, and it was a little bit f like far away from where I lived and stuff but it was okay like the, you know it was a, bit of a journey there but it was cheap and yeah and it was I felt like it was worth yeah. it and I think ever since after that like kind of realization I was like oh yeah I need this yeah. I need something to like a space to um to separate things off because I think as well often you're in your bedroom and you've got like a workspace and you're living you mm, know and it becomes yeah. very like I think yeah. for your like well-being it's not and some people work like that and it mm. works for them but mm. yeah it wasn't not for me mm. and what kind of work were you making then can you remember um still so my BA my final show was photographs and moving image mm. um but the moving image piece was actually a documentation of performance okay. um so I think that's the first time I kind of like ventured into making time, performance yeah. um, and then recording it. Obviously it wasn't live, it wasn't live um, performed, but yeah. And then when I um, came out of uni and had the studio, there was little bits of moving image, but it was mainly like photographs, still image yeah. stuff. But again, I was still working with the notion of performance mm -hmm. um, and that the documentation of performance. So the first like body of work that I made that I felt like was a body of work um, was a zine called Exercises 1 to 3. Mm -hmm. um, and it was all made in that studio in Bow. Um, and it was actually a friend of mine started a publishing company called Kiosk. And he was like, I'm starting this publishing company and I'm commissioning like 10 artists to like respond to make the, the, the rules were it had to be black and white. It was resograph printed, okay. 24 pages. He was like, here's a deadline. Yeah. I think that was the first time I had like a like a set of like rules to to kind of adhere to, mm. and I was like, oh, I'm not. I've got to do this thing. And you just sat there, and you're like, what am I going to make? What am I going to do? Um, and yeah, and then it kind of. So I was shooting all on film, um, and the first like so it was exercises one to three, and there were three exercises, and they were just these kind of like um, I say silly, but these kind of quite like um, absurd like. So one of one of the exercises was like I'd be on I was on a table and then I was on the table and then there was like maybe ten images that make up this process of me like being off the table. So mm. each like process in the movement is is okay. shown by by an image. Yeah. Um, one of them is me like on a chair and then sliding down a chair. Yeah. But that was taken from like I remember being sat in the studio one day and just sitting in a chair and I was like started sliding <laughs> back into <laughs> it because I was like oh <laughs> what am I doing? But I think it came out that that book came out of a frustration yeah. as well. I was like I'm just going to do something because I don't know yeah. what to do. Um, um, and then it kind of developed from there. Uh, and I was shooting that all on film and with a self timer. So it was all the process of kind of like yeah like making it on my own and it being quite important yeah. that I made it on my own. Um, and yeah, and that like ended up being in a zine and then that was published, which was great. Um, and it was only meant to be, yeah, it was something I was invited to do, but then it ended up being quite like a pivotal thing for me. And it kind of liberated a way of working. Mm. 
I was like, oh, it's just like small little book. I think in my BA, it was all about big prints and quite like, yeah. I think it was like big. <laughs> and this was like a tiny little like risograph um, zine. Um, and yeah, it did really well. And then I decided to get um, a second edition printed because there was some things I wanted to slightly tweak with mm -hmm. it, just a few extra pages. Um, and then with that, I just submitted it to lots of like um, competitions and stuff, not really expecting much from it. Um, but then 2015, it won the Belfast um, Photo Festival Wicked. Open Submission Prize, which was amazing. Yeah. I remember getting the email and being like, what? But <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that was amazing because I think, yeah, I just, I feel like at that point I needed that. Like, like, kind of like validation or something? Yeah, I think so. And like, especially in photography, like, I think sometimes this idea that it has to be like these impressive prints or it has yeah. to be... I think yeah the idea of the value of it i think i think with a lot of art mediums as well it comes mm -hmm. in but i almost needed some like yeah validation for what i was doing like it was a new way of working for me it was quite like i say the word diy but it was quite just like yeah, yeah. um and then that one that which was amazing and then i it got picked up by a few of the sellers and they were taking it to like fairs and stuff mm. um and i was like oh yeah this feels and it was the first thing i'd actually made and i was like i'm really this is like it's quite yeah, simple concept. I didn't overthink it. Yeah. It was just, um, and yeah, so that was that was really good. And I think from there that like shifted my, shifted how I was working. And I think from then on, um, yeah, I've kind of followed in that. Yeah, followed suit. In that path. Yeah. yeah. Um, how so? Then you obviously went to the RCA. I did. Um, yeah. How was how was that for you? And was it what kind of um, inspired the decision to apply there? So I think even on my BA, I knew I wanted to do a master's mm -hmm. and I was pretty sure I wanted it to be RCA. Um, and then, but I knew I, need, I needed some time. A lot of people were kind of applying on the BA or mm. kind of straight out. Um, what do you think that time gave you? Um, between your, like, yeah, that, that, that period between your BA and your MA. I think it was, re it was really important because um, I was working as well and like, because um, I had to, you know, I was working mm. and making work and I think I was kind of in the industry I was working in, I was meeting a lot of people as well and I was like learning a lot of skills and not that you don't learn anything at uni, yeah. but like <laughs> <laughs> you start honing in on things a bit more and mm. um, I think it just gave me time and space to kind of, yeah, to like um, experiment as well, I suppose, yeah. um, out of the pressures of like an institution and I shared, like I had two studios, I had the one in Bow that I spoke of and then another in Peckham where I shared with four other artists. Um, and yeah, just kind of like being in a very different like environment. Mm. Um, but then I think for RCA, I maybe got, I think I was three years out before I went to RCA. Yeah. Or the year before, after the zine and I was making some other things. I was like, oh, actually, I feel like my practice is at a point where I'm ready to, I think I, I was ready to kind of take it to the next level yeah. maybe like i feel like i developed it and then i was ready to unpick it again because i think mm. for me that's what rca was very much about it's about kind of breaking it down and then putting it back together yeah. um so yeah i think it was i just felt like i was ready for it mm. um yeah then i applied and yeah and then i went to rca in 2016 um yeah, and it was intense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, oh no, what have I done? Why have I done this to myself again? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. How how was how was your experience of it? Um, yeah. Um, I like looking back. I think like 
I had a great time. I think it didn't come with its frustrations and I think in any like institution now it's like mm. you know fees and money like there's all these yeah you, you kind of like you want to like feel like you're getting what you've paid for you know I don't know not that I necessarily agree with that like model but that's where we're at so yeah. it's like and you're paying a lot of money and yeah. um but there were some very frustrating things about it in terms of facilities and um yeah, there's been a lot of changes at RCA with like shifting courses around. I mean, like painting was obviously affected in school. You know, yeah. like everyone was yeah. having like, yeah, but somehow out of that, like everyone managed to <laughs> kind of like do stuff. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, uh, I think it's, yeah. Um, but aside from those negative things and the positives, I mean, the, um, the people I was on the course with were amazing. And mm. um, the technicians were incredible and the tutors as well. Um, I thought I was in an environment that was very much like, on my level whatever that means like I was surrounded by lots of like people making very interesting work and kind of who wanted to engage with you about what you were doing what they were doing Mm. Um, and yeah I think everyone was just there because they really really wanted to be there like across all courses and I found that that really really inspiring Um, I think yeah this first year especially gave me a space to really like I mean it was hard and like maybe (laughs) eight months in I was like what am I doing what is my work I don't know (laughs) anymore but yeah even the first term I was making I went making images and then I started making moving image again um and then towards I mean two-thirds of the first year I started working in performance um and it's something that I um I was like I'm never gonna make live performance Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I had a tutor who was like, basically don't come back to me until you've made a live performance. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I feel like you need to do this. Mm. Um, and that was like a, yeah, because I think up until that point, I was kind of dancing around the idea of it, but not doing it. And yeah. I think he could see that. And he was like, why aren't you just doing this? You're talking about performance and all these things. And I think it was just scary. Um, but yeah, and then um, I started, I had... I developed like a short live piece which I presented at um there's a book fair called Off Print at Tate. Mm. Um and I presented that there in two thousand and seventeen. Yeah, a book fair. So that was cool. Mm. And then we we put t- we had like a ta- an RCA table and we put like an area together and we put like a small performance program together. Mm. And so I kind of I, again I had like this like it's something I'd started working on and then I had this deadline. I was like, right, I'm gonna develop this yeah. thing for it. Um and yeah, it was, I felt like, oh, this way of working is like, it kind of, again, it was another pivotal point for me. Mm. Um, and then from then on, not that it was easy and I was like, oh, I'm just going to make live work from now on. But uh, it's still difficult to be like, this needs to be a live work. Mm. But I think that opportunity to try it out and mm. to, um, yeah, so the first year, first time I made a live work and then. Yeah, big shift. Yeah. Which was it was kind of why I wanted to go there as well. I wanted to try that, and even like things like writing. Mm. Um, so at RCA, like obviously you have to write a dissertation, um, but it's very much um, about the dissertation sitting alongside your practice yeah. and kind of sometimes like being one of the same. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One's mentioned for the other. Yeah, and I think mm. that was great for me as well because writing and research has always been something that I've been like really engaged in but i've mm. never really known how to bring them together, together yeah. and i think i had tutors who were like well why can't they be the same thing why can't mm. they like kind of cross over mm. and so yeah live performance and writing and research all started to kind of yeah come in a bit more yeah which yeah. is good so it's more allowing all those things that you'd maybe suppressed before to to come back in yeah, yeah. i think so i think we <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think um 
just having the space to kind of be like, oh, I'm just going to try it yeah. and then I'm going to present it in a crit and then it's going to be like destroyed. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I don't know, like that, yeah, having like a yeah, space to kind of present it and see what happens, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned that, um, yeah, that research has always been quite important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I'm, I'm thinking about in terms of your final show at the, at the RCA. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was um, inspired by the, I might get this wrong, but some like photographic archives yes. of the mental hospital in Paris. Yes. Very yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So when before, so I'll start that again. Going into the second year at RCA, so begin like September 2017, over the summer I applied for, they do a residency exchange mm. program in, um, in Paris um, and I applied for that. Uh, and I got it. So I spent the first term of my second year oh, in Paris um, mm. at City des Arts. Uh, and my proposal for that was, so when I was writing my dissertation, it was a lot around the performativity of the camera and performativity in general in relation to gender. Um, uh, I, I became really interested in hysteria and mm. the historical nature of it, but particularly its kind of link to the visual arts and how it's kind of always been f- formed by images and this idea of what hysteria looks like. Yeah. Um, and so when the residency came up, my application was to go and spend three months there um, and go to the site. So the Salpetriere in Paris, which is where kind of like, yeah, hysteria was, I mean, it's, you know, as a term, it's existed for a, lo- it existed, existed for a long time, yeah. but um, there was a doctor called Jean-Martin Charcot, um, and he really brought it into the into the 19th century, and particularly with the invention of photography and kind of medical photography, mm. um, trying to like photograph bodies for the camera. Um, so yeah, my proposal was to go there, um, and I was interested in that as a site of performance, uh, performing for the camera and all those kind of things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I went there and then found out that the images. So the, the hospital still exists, but it's still it's a practicing hospital. Um, mm. I had this in my head that there was like, oh, there's an art. I didn't really research it much yeah. <laughs> I went, clearly. Um, but that's all part of it, I think. And then I went there and then found out that the images are actually in America, that the original plates, and but they still have a library there, which oh, is the okay. Charcot Library, yeah. which a lot of like um, people practicing medicine and training go there to study. So I actually just started going there and I spent... Um, like the months I was there going through a lot of the medical journals that were produced during that time mm. and my French is okay <laughs> but like medical speak not so much yeah. um, but with that I started coming across a lot of images in the books which kind of support the text or vice mm. versa um, and yeah I was kind of just um, taking photos a lot of the archives were online as well some of the books weren't there so they were all like archived online mm. so I started just collecting this material when yeah. I was there um, and again like collecting and collecting and collecting and not really knowing what to do with it mm. um, but I ended up with quite a vast like body of images um, mm. and a lot of the imagery was quite interesting for me because it wasn't just showing the kind of symptom mm. but there were often elements within the image so for example you'd see arms coming yeah. in holding the bodies in place for the camera or you'd see mm. like a drape slipping down in the back or you'd see like markings on the floor which is like instructing someone where to stand mm. so like those theatrical elements I was like well that's 
Uh, these slippages in the images, yeah. slippages in the images, <laughs> which I found quite interesting. Mm. Um, and I, I found myself con- like continually drawn to those. See, every time I found one, I was like, oh, there's another one. And then yeah, it yeah, kind yeah. of started building up. So yeah, and then I came back from Paris and I was like, right, so I've got all this stuff. Mm. <laughs> um, and I was writing a lot when I was out there as well. And I think it was part in response to... Um, yeah, those images and the reading I was doing um, on hysteria, which when it was kind of brought back in the 19th century, I mean, it's always been related to the female body and the hysteria mm. womb and this idea that the, the womb used to wander around the body and it was about putting the, the womb back in its place. And that's why women like were acting crazy um, in a very like short, shortened version. Um, but yes, I, I was writing a lot of that. Like, what, what the writing I was doing was in mm. relation to kind of um, like gender and um, yeah, the performance of the body and the female body in relation mm. to the camera and uh, and yeah, and then I came back and had all this writing and images and I was like, right, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> what do I do with it? Um, and so yeah, I struggled when I came back for a couple of months because I had so much like I've been reading a lot and writing yeah, a lot and too. collecting stuff, mm. but you know that almost wasn't like a work. It was just like a collection of like thoughts mm. and like things um and then at first i was thinking about use well i did end up using the some of the archival imagery but it was like well how do i like how do i move this past re like research um how do i move it like to the next kind of stage i suppose um and then i started thinking about when i did the first live work um the year before and i was like well i started that by just running like movement workshops so in that january of 2018 um i started running some movement workshops with i put an open call out um i had a few friends come along a few people i didn't know um using a lot of that research as a starting point but also um i started coming across um self-defense guides for women that were invented and invented which were a lot of them were published in the 70s um but again this idea of like um restaging like or like a site of resistance so a lot of the books were like manuals for how to like you know defend yourself Mm. against an assailant um and yeah a lot of yeah a lot of that came out of writing i was doing about like yeah in the book a book that i produced about being being assaulted and yeah thinking about like um those incidents and Mm. so i was coming across a lot again more imagery these self-defense guides um and i was just interested in how they were kind of constructed um uh and yeah i put that to people and then we started kind of what using those movements or Mm. the images sorry as a starting point um and yeah started developing movement from there really and then (laughs) when it came to the final show I mean, I look back at it now and I'm like, I don't even know how that, how, how that happened. I'm like, <laughs> how did these, how did this happen? But um, the premise of it is I had a, I presented a live work for the show, which was called Circuit Training Exercises in Self-Doubt, in brackets, mm. a long title. <laughs> um, and then there was a book presented alongside it, which was called To Be Confirmed, Exercises mm. in Self-Doubt. Yeah. Um, and then there was some work some lithographic plates that I had um, produced with some of the imagery from the Sarpetria. And there was also, yeah, another thing. (laughs) There was also some um, vinyl like text on the wall. So the performance in the book were kind of for me always in conversation with one another. So the writing was actually um, 
an essay that I've written as part of my dissertation and then two of the essays which I'd started in Paris. So that was kind of like all my research yeah. in a way, um, uh, like an addition to book. And then the live performance kind of came out of that. So when we were making a workshop in the live work, um, the performance was always in conversation with the research and the text. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, the, the lithographic pan uh, panels were from some of the imagery from the Salpetria and then the the vinyl text. So when you walked into the space, I was mm. presenting on the second floor and there was a staircase going up um, and I uh, installed some excerpts from the book in vinyl text yeah. on the wall. So this idea that you kind of like tra transition into the space. Mm. Um, and I think as well, because the performance was only performed on Saturdays and Sundays at two, three, four and five, mm -hmm. um, I wanted some sense of like, something to be going on. So that's why the book was there, the text was there. There was some like material for you to like draw from whilst mm. the performance wasn't active. Um, but yeah, I feel like there were lots of different elements that came out of that like one kind of trip. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what needed to happen as well. I think for a long time I was like, oh, it needs to be like one work or one thing, mm. but then actually it kind of splintered off into lots of things, which I think was, yeah, really important. Mm. But yeah. I think even now trying to de try and describe it, I can no, hear yeah. myself talking about it. I'm like, how's anyone going to get a grasp on no. this? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's good. Because I, I also, um, your work at um, Night Visions, was mm. it was that in the Museum of London? Because that, that also has some similarities to what you're talking about in terms of, um, well, limbs, fragmentations of limbs mm -hmm. and kind of self-defense. Because that, that work at Night Visions took inspiration from the Thames Torso murders. It did. Which is another thing that's fairly, yes. fairly sinister. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just love grim things. Um, but I think like, yeah, like this notion of like, so one of the essays in the book I was speaking about was about an incident um, of an assault that I experienced. Um, and I had to go to court for it. And um, so I kind of had this memory in my head of mm. like what happened and like how things went. And then when I went to court, I was presented with CCTV footage of um, the, from the event. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, in court, they ask you to identify like, you know, how can you identify yourself in the footage and da, da, da. And the only reason I could like identify myself was because of trainers that I was wearing. I was like, well, I know there's, <laughs> and I was like, how are like trainers the only reference point for my own body? Like, mm. I was like, that's like bizarre. And then, so the footage you kind of see, yeah, I can see my legs and then nothing happens for like a minute or something. And then suddenly you see my legs fall into the frame and that was it. And, and then they're like, well, we can't prove that you were hit or we can't prove that you were, you know, because you don't see it happen. You just see these legs fall into a frame. And I think, obviously, I was very frustrated because I was mm. like, well, it did. <laughs> <laughs> but then when they're presenting what they call like evidence, it's yeah. like, and I think that, uh, yeah, when, um, one of the essays in the book uses that like image from the CCTV as like an anchor point, I suppose. And like how I couldn't identify my body because you know how it's framed and you just see the legs fall in and it's like well that could be anyone's you know arguably anyone's legs mm. um and yeah so at the time when i was writing that <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i was watching lots of netflix <laughs> <laughs> i was watching this really bad crime pro like crime program and one of the cases they talked about on it was the thames torso murders mm. um and yeah, from binge watching TV, I was like, oh, that sounds in interesting. <laughs> um, and then I started doing a bit of research into it. And 
yeah, it was around the same time as Jack the Ripper, um, but they don't believe them to be the same person. And it's, yeah, it's obviously a very, like, very, like, disturbing, mm. very grim kind of story. But I think this idea that um, none of the women, they were kind of dismembered and they found limbs washed up on the River Thames, um, but they couldn't identify any of the women because their heads had been kind of removed and, like, hidden. Um, and this idea that was, yeah, the fragmentation of the body and identity... Um, uh, and one of the only women they could identify was a lady called Elizabeth Jackson, who the only reason they could identify her is because of a tattoo on her arm. Um, but otherwise, they're kind of these, you know, these just these mm, body parts, kind yeah. of the the object. Um, and so I think from that and linking this idea of the CCTV footage, and I started like putting these things together. Um, and then yeah, the piece at Museum of London um, was uh, yeah, it's a photographic print. Um, and it kind of plays into those ideas of kind of the limb and um, yeah, fragmentation of the body and autonomy and all these kind of things. Um, and that show was part of London at London by Night, I think it was called. And it was looking at how photography had documented the city at night right, since okay. its invention. And the show that I was part of was outside in a rotunda um, and it was uh, called Night Visions. Mm. So responding to different themes in the show, so kind of like the playfulness of the city or the sinister side of the city. And mm. yeah, obviously I chose the sinister side. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, um, yeah, I think that again, look at the self-defense and the kind of, yeah, look at these archival, all these historical events in which, yeah, there's been violence or particularly violence enacted onto, onto women or, yeah, I think I'm always like, mm invested in those yeah yeah and is that um well I, I should say now i guess and since since leaving the rca you've been super busy it's been good <laughs> <laughs> been like featured in ukraine vogue yes art issue shows in like well nearly every city in the country <laughs> like everything in like london edinburgh yes. york yep and there's been a solo sh solo show at, in, in, uh, in America. Is it Hayes? Hayes, yeah, Hayes Gallery? Hayes Gallery in North Carolina. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, is so cool. is that... Um, yeah. How has the work kind of... Um, has it has it followed, as you said, has it followed kind of similar suit in terms of research um, into those shows? Yeah. So when I finished RCA... So I actually... The, the show in America, I already had kind of a little bit lined up. mm um, and actually, so Katie, who's one of the um, curators there, I met her when I first moved to London at a party, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and she'd been she'd been following me on Instagram and various channels for like a few years. And then in my first year of RCA, she got in touch just saying, oh, I saw your book. I've seen these things and I'm really interested in um, uh, like having you involved in a project. Fast mm. forward, like... I went over to North Carolina to Haynes Art Gallery to have a show and I did a residency there as well, which was amazing. Mm. Um, and it was all funded by, so it was Haynes Art Gallery is part of Wake Forest University. Um, so Katie was amazing and she applied for funding and got it, um, which is how it should be, you know, yeah. you know these opportunities. Like, yeah, right. It's rare. <laughs> it's, it's very it's rare. And rare. like, it was amazing and they were incredible and there was no pressure to produce anything. It was mm. like having the show and then... Um, I got to run some workshops and I did some tutorials and got to spend time with the students, um, which was great. Met lots of the professors on campus and it was very much just, yeah, 
you come here mm. and just relax if you want to or come here and like make if you want to you've got access to the facilities and things like that um so that was amazing and then during that time as well i had, I had a show in edinburgh with some rca students it was curated by scarlet Plateau, um and there was maybe 15 of us in that show and then yeah like from that it's just kind of just i mean it's been amazing but like yeah. a little bit like it just lots of things coming at once like buses yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah yeah um and yeah i was part of peckham 24 in may uh where are we now this year yeah this year yeah lose track of time <laughs> 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 this year um and i actually got to develop a new work for that which was great um i got some um support from weber gallery to um i ran some workshops on an idea i presented kind of work or a sketch at peckham 24 of a new work which i'm still trying to like develop now yeah um but yeah it's followed in the same kind of um that new work in the gap between I was looking at like um, an oscillation between stillness and moving in the live in a live kind of performance. Mm. So I worked with five other five or six other performers for that work. Um, and yeah, I've still been trying to write and stuff alongside doing shows, but it's been nice because I feel like the work that I made at RCA, it's like kind of just getting it out there. Yeah, right. You spend a lot of time making it, and then mm. I think it's very easy to be like, oh, I've done that now. I've mm. had the grad show, and then I move on to the next thing. But um, especially like circuit training which is the live work um i've had the opportunity so i presented that at um, nunui gallery and um yeah and then last month i went to yeah. brussels yeah. which was yeah, amazing was you, yeah. um it was a new program there it's been going for two years now called a performance affair and it's basically a platform for for performative or generally live works mm -hmm. Um, and this idea that a performance or a live work shouldn't just be like a, you know, an accessory onto a show. It should be like the forefront of yeah. the conversation. Um, and I think there's been a lot of kind of like good progress being made in that field. Um, but yeah, a lot of artists say, oh, you know, the performance should just come out at dinner parties, you know, yeah. <laughs> with the canapes. <laughs> it's like, oh, look, there's a performance happening. <laughs> and it kind of like goes away. Yeah. And it's never been like this justified way, to, way mm. of working. Um, and a big part of that program, a performance affair, is about the selling of live work as well. And yeah. about how you sell and like, how do you, if someone was to acquire, acquire the work, how do you give it yeah. to them? Yeah, how does, yeah, how does that, how does that No one work? knows. That's the conclusion yeah. I've come to. Um, what was really interesting about a performance affair was they, you had to, so the premise of it was all the works had to be for sale. Um, but you also this year had to submit like a, um, like a form, which basically they had a list of questions on there. So what's the title of the work? When was mm -hmm. it made? What are the materials? How many performers? Um, things like that. And then also things like, you know, what happens if the performance, uh, the artist passes away? You know, mm. all these questions of kind of things you don't really think about because yeah. they're a bit grim. <laughs> but, um, you know, if it's acquired and the artist has to perform it, what happens if they pass away? Like, and the collector has bought it. Um, how is it reproduced? Um, how much does it cost? And if you don't, you know does a documentation come all these things where it's like when you sit down you have to think about it you're like oh i don't know <laughs> so that was good because it really made me with circuit training i wasn't really ever i still i'm still not sure okay. to be honest but um i think this idea for me of it being for sale was always a bit like problematic because mm. i don't when you're working with people um they're not like things i don't really know how to like put a price on that and there's obviously things like labor and rehearsals mm. and you know it's a sometimes like 
think like I'm a human resources department. It's like, you know, you're dealing with people. So it's like, it's difficult. But that was really good because it made me sit down and like write things out. Mm. Um, But the conclusion I kind of came to was it was available on like a commissioned basis. Um, Maybe that's a scapegoat. I don't know. Mm. (laughs) But this idea that you can, you know, you can can commission me to um, present it somewhere. Um, But then things like, you know, maybe it's only commissioned X amount of times in a year. It's so difficult to tell. But I kind of went there thinking like, oh, I'm going to see. Because they had a folder at the, they had a bureau, which was at the hub of the, um, the building and they had a folder with everyone's proposals in it and then how it would be sold and I was like oh sit down and I'm gonna like look (laughs) through and I'm gonna get some ideas and see how everyone else does it thinking like but no one knows like (laughs) I think everyone's got different strategies Mm. which I think is you know some people say you know you can it's an addition of you know in a very like traditional format it's an addition of three or some people say well when you acquire it you acquire um you buy the instructions or some people say well you buy um you get a documentation or Mm. some people say it's not important that the artist is in it and other people say well it is important that Mm. i'm in it um and so yeah everyone's got these different kind of approaches to it and i think that in itself is like yeah symptomatic of the medium like no one but i think it was such a relief (laughs) i was like no one knows what to do with it um and i think i always thought especially at rca when you know you have to put like a price on work i was like well i don't i don't know Mm. um but it gave me a lot to think about and even just seeing how different people were approaching it and um, having lots of like really like good conversations with people there and um, and yeah, like, you know, because if you're going to reproduce the performance and it's going to happen over four months and it's like, okay, well, how many times do we do it? Who performs it? Yeah. Have to pay, you know, definitely have to pay them and then there's like rehearsals and, you know, it starts stacking up mm. costs. So it's like to kind of put a price on it, it's... But also for me, just to give that away as a set of instructions, I don't think that's, for me, that's not, yeah, I'm not sure yet. I'm still okay. figuring that out. <laughs> but, you know, some people say, well, you can buy it and it can be performed by whoever, but the artist is in charge of who performs it yeah. and they have to be present for the first rehearsal. But then after that, it's, so yeah, It. but it was like, it was an amazing um, thing to be a part of. And I think it's really like pressing yeah. Um, conversation. Well, yeah, we'll just oppose the conversation. I th- I, th- I think is important, right? And for it yeah. to even exist is a step in the right direction for sure. I think so. It felt like being there felt very like exciting mm. for me. The space was like constantly active, and the way it was curated was amazing. And like it was so well organized. Mm. Um, still like very new, still in its second year, but it just felt very like urgent. Yeah, good. Um, and yeah, it was great to be there. Got to go to Brussels mm. for a few days, had some beer and some chips. <laughs> <laughs> um, Elizabeth, who I performed this work with, yeah, we went over there, and yeah, it was good. Yeah, great. Yeah, turned up, got off the Eurostar, turned up literally with a suitcase and like put eight in the morning, put the like a space together and then, yeah. Nice one. It was good. <laughs> so what's, what's, yeah, what are you working on at the moment? Have you got, have you got anything um, new? I think at the moment I feel very, not calm, that's not the right word, but um, I'm enjoying having a bit of, I'm just getting back into reading, yeah. which is nice. Some th- I'm going to, um, over the next few months, hopefully be in the studio just revisiting what I've done over the past year. Mm. Um, I think when there's so much happening, it's very easy to kind of like, hey, you don't process these things or um, look for yeah particular things within them. Um, 
but yeah, I'm doing a lot of reading, trying to get back into writing as well. I'm really interested in the brain at the minute. <laughs> so I'm doing a lot of like reading. I think that comes from my research into hysteria and kind of, um, yeah, and neurology and stuff like that. So I don't know where it's going, but I'm like, oh, mm. I'm kind of interested in the brain. So I'm doing a lot of reading on that. And yeah, I think have have some have some time, I think. The teaching as well, I'm trying to put at the forefront at the moment. Um, I'm gonna start teaching, start my PGCE, yeah. and um, I'm interested in like running more workshops and seeing how those things can. I think workshops in my own practice that I've been doing have made me think, oh, actually, I'd like to work with more people on, mm. you know, not necessarily it's for my practice, but um, yeah, so workshops, teaching, and then yeah, we'll see. Yeah, and are you still actively DJing? <laughs> <laughs> Am I? <laughs> uh, yes. Because resident advisor tells me so. <laughs> I am, yes. So, um, yeah, again, DJing is something that I've, like, so I play soul music, um, something that I got into um, maybe, I don't know, four or five years ago. Uh, started doing it at pubs and then started doing bigger clubs and stuff. Played with Romare this year, which was cool. Really? At Jazz Cafe. Wicked. Good. Um, and, yeah, still actively playing. Me and a friend of mine who run a night together, we're trying to get that back up and going. Yeah. Um, doing a gig in December um, with uh, a, a night called Depth and Northern Soul Club so mm. playing with them but yeah I feel very like very fortunate that mm. I get to do that as is, it, is that something that's always that you've always kind of done or been interested in yeah I think um, yeah for maybe when I was like 20 22 23 I got mm. into I'd always really been into music particularly yeah. soul music Northern Soul and then mm. um started like collecting. I play main well, vinyl so yeah. I started collecting records and um and then started having meeting people who were into it and wanted to run nights and mm. so it always been for a bit of fun but then as things developed it was like do you want to come play a pub you know you get paid yeah. four hours get some drinks quite nice yeah um but yeah like it's um something that kind of runs yeah runs alongside like yeah, I practice. Yeah. I don't know if it's part of it. Maybe yeah. <laughs> performance in a yeah. way. Um, but yeah, no, I really enjoy it. And um, yeah, running nights and stuff is quite stressful. So I've been yeah. trying to do less of that. I think mm. being invited to play places has been nice, or even just a couple of a couple of friends going. Oh, we're just gonna yeah. play some music. Um, but yeah, so I've got a couple of gigs at the end of the year, which is good. Mm. And are they are they the ones that you're you're organising, or are you? Um, so we've got one next week, which is one that I'm organising with mm. Ollie, who I um, mm. run our, our collective's called So and Soul. Mm. Um, so we're running that, but it's very like, we've run nights before, but they've been very stressful. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a lot of promote. like, I'm not a promoter. No. Like, uh, I, I discovered that, but we've done nights where, um, yeah, we kind of tried to like promote them and get mm. people down and, you know, it's not my forte, I don't think. Mm. Um, but so this night we're doing is very low key. It's a basement of a bar in Peckham, um, and we're just going to play music. And, cool. You know, it gets quite a good footfall, which is good. So it's yeah. kind of like easy. Um, and then the next gig is organised by by someone else, but I've been invited to play. So nice that's one. That's always good. But yeah, so we'll see. So keep your eyes peeled, listeners. Keep <laughs> <laughs> your ears to the ground. <laughs> um, so. As you as you might know now, towards the end of the podcast, uh-huh. um, I forgot about I, this bit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I, I I like to ask. Yeah, well, we like to ask our guest. Um, yeah, two questions. Um, so sorry to be on the spot, but the first question is: um, if you could swap 
seats with me now mm-hmm. um, and visit any any artists, either living or dead. Um, who would you visit, and what might you ask them? Um, <laughs> I think I'm kind of cheating with this. Talk about this question. <laughs> um, there's, I think. Uh, it would be Yvonne Rayner, um, who is a filmmaker, dance practitioner, writer, lots of things. Um, she was well known for um, being part of the Judson Dance Theatre in the 70s. Um, and I'm not sure what I'd ask, but I'd like to have a conversation with her. And I think um, I think she's someone who's always been actively kind of um, trying to break down this idea of like traditional dance mm. or how dance should be presented or exist. Um, she famously produced this in the, I think it was in the 70s, um, this No Manifesto, and it was like this list of kind of like no to spectacle, no to um, virtuosity and all these kind of things. Mm. Um, but then it was interesting because I think in 2000 she revisited it and she kind of made a... Um, a response to it so she had this no manifesto of things that like no dance should be this it shouldn't be about spectacle it shouldn't be about this and then she kind of re- revisited it and like wrote no- notes next to it and she kind of I think to no spectacle she put like unavoidable I don't know these things have like yeah. you kind of have these ideas at one point and then you go through all these um, things and you go well actually I said that but so yeah I think I don't know if that's really a question <laughs> <laughs> but I think that kind of that idea of reflecting on um, things that you think about something and then um but I think she's just in terms of like dance or mm. what she's done for like modern postmodern dance and mm. then even with filmmaking and writing and these crossovers, this interdisciplinary approach, I yeah. think it's really inspiring. So I think yeah, yeah I don't choice. know what I'd ask. No, that's, but a good choice. that's a good choice. <laughs> I'd talk at her. <laughs> <laughs> um and our second question is, um has there been um a piece of advice that you've been given maybe or something that someone has said to you? in reference to your work um, or your practice as a whole or whatever that's kind of stuck with you? Um, or even some a piece of advice that you might tell you tell yourself? Tell about. myself. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think I'm, s- s- yeah, I think trusting what you're doing and that, um, yeah, trusting, trusting what you're doing. I think um, a lot of the time there's this idea that uh, you're doing something you're not sure why. Mm-hmm. Um, why am I doing this? I'm doing this thing, but like trusting that kind of. So I talk to students a lot about now as well. Is like, and it's still advice that I have to apply to myself because mm, yeah. I'm not above it. Mm. <laughs> I still like have to yeah. like catch myself and be like, mm. you know, just allowing yourself time to. Um, like even when I was saying about at the minute, I'm not really like making anything but I'm reading mm-hmm. like trusting that that's something that I need to do at the minute yeah. and not thinking like, oh I need to be making something it's not a thing mm. um, uh, but yeah trusting that's enough and following like your gut in those things and experimenting I suppose mm. um, I think as well like just looking looking after yourself I think we've chatted about this about this a little bit before yeah. but I think especially like either at university or out of university and kind of um trying to be an artist plus like having a <laughs> having yeah. an income and yeah. trying to balance the two things i think it's like you know like selling live performance no one's got an answer yeah. no one really has everyone has their own strategies but i think mm. um looking after yourself and especially with like you know instagram and platforms and stuff like that yeah. it's easy to look at what other people are doing and think oh i'm not doing enough or 
oh, I'm not making or I'm not like, yeah. Um, but I think just being, trying to like accept where you are and what you're doing and yeah. Trust, trusting in that, trusting that you know, yeah. Yeah, you know well, yeah, I, I guess everyone kind of moves at different speeds and certain things happen for you kind of maybe when they're meant to happen. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, we've talked about this on, on the podcast before and that there's this kind of sense of kind of pressure always put on you and this kind of um, this kind of feeling of the need to be extraordinary all the time and to be mm. to be doing all the time. Um, and actually it's, that isn't particularly practical for a lot of people, mm. maybe. Um, but I think, yeah, even like with this year, like you were saying, it's been very busy and I've been very fortunate. I've been involved in lots of exciting projects mm. and um, I feel very, very like grateful for that. Mm. Um, but alongside that, you know, it has been like, you know, it has been difficult in like yeah. juggling it with the job and kind of in terms of like mental health and, you know, things happen and they're exciting and then mm. nothing happens. And yeah, it's kind of like, and especially living in a city like London, you know, it can be, it can be very hard work. Yeah, <laughs> like, it, was, it was totally kind um, of unforgiving city, isn't it? Yeah. But I think again, like, you know, I'm in a very like fortunate position and, um, you know, I don't have kids or anything like that. And mm. I'm like, you know, and I have a job and yeah, but it's, and I've had lots of opportunities this year that have presented themselves to me and I've kind of gone with them and it's been great. Mm. Um, but there's also that side of like, you know, it's easy to like post about them and be like, oh, this thing's happened, it's great. But there's also been like, you know, the stressful times with it and the kind of times where I've doubted myself, I think as well. And like, oh, am I good enough to be doing this? Like, what am I doing? Like, am I, you know, all those things. Yeah. But I think, yeah, just kind of like, yeah, and I'm still working on it, but just trying yeah. to accept that like, you know, like you say, you don't have to. It doesn't have to be extraordinary or sensational all the time. It's mm. like, okay, these great things have happened, but now I'm yeah, gonna right. like, yeah, allow yourself time to. Again, yeah. that's not really an answer, but lots of. <laughs> no, no, it is. No, it is. It is. I, I, yeah, I, I think it's really important to remember to trust yourself. Um, yeah. Trust yourself and look after yourself. I think that's the way where you can and like you're within your rules to live by to do it yeah. <laughs> still still trying to live by them, myself, <laughs> yeah um and have you got anything that you'd like to plug or anything or anyone or um, anything you'd like to tell people about in terms of like shows and things i haven't really got anything there's a few conversations that are happening at the moment mm. um i Oh, actually, over the summer, I was working with a friend of mine, Jennifer Martin. Mm -hmm. um, she helped some choreography on a film she was making, um, which was great. Again, it was a project that isn't mine, but I was invited in to kind of like be part of it, which was yeah. amazing, um, called Teeth. Um, she's, she was amazing. She got an Arts Council grant and the Flaming. She's got, she got lots of, rightfully so, lots of funding to produce it. Mm. Um, so I think that's... She's got a show opening next week at um, Turf Projects. That isn't that video work, but yeah. it's an extension of it. Okay. Um, and then I think that video work is coming out in, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I know it's going to be on show in Nottingham, I think, mm. in a few other places. But yes, it was great to be involved in that. And I think um, that show and that project is like, well deserved for her. So yeah, plug that. Yeah, um, yeah she's got a show opening next week, which would be great. Um but yeah, aside from that, nothing else really, which is nice. It gives you <laughs> gives you some time to take your advice. Yeah, I need to take my advice and 
yeah, like we were speaking about earlier, just come and sit in the studio a bit. Yeah, be here. Be here and see what happens. Mm. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you Thank so you. much for having me over. <laughs> and give, <laughs> and I hope you have a really lovely weekend. Yeah, you too. <laughs> Cheers, Alex. Bye. <laughs> Bye. So thank you very much for listening to us all the way through. Please find more information about what was discussed on the podcast in the notes section. And if you like what you heard and would like to keep up to date with new episodes, then please subscribe to the podcast. And also follow our Instagram, which we regularly update with posts about each guest and all goings on with the podcast. Also, if you can spare a moment, please leave us a lovely review and that would help us out a lot. As well as that, if you have any suggestions or opinions you wish to share with us, then please feel free to do so on any of our social media platforms or send us over an email. All of our details are again in the notes section of each podcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.